Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Fullmetal Alchemist by Hiromu Arakawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. And I'm Kazum. And today we're discussing chapters 68 and 69. Yes. Woo. Woo. It was good. Ones. Those are the ones. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some numbers. <laughs> <laughs> they sure are numbers. I don't know. I still don't have any banter. I don't know why you're looking at me like that. I can just feel you through the computer looking at me. <laughs> it's like, how how about numbers? How about that? <laughs> I will say I debated on saying nice after saying 69, so. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 68 and 69. <laughs> That's how you're supposed to say it, right? <laughs> I still can't get over that. how we um, were reading all of those questions in our we we read them from the the same anon but the anon four twenty six nine where I was like four two oh six nine yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was like oh I missed I missed everything <laughs> I'm just excited because I just want to get to the chapters because there was like so many things that happened. Mm-hmm. I don't have any banter because all I want to do is talk about Raven. That's all I want to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And like everything else, there was so much creepy <laughs> shit. It was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Question mark. Well, <laughs> well, let's get into it then. We'll do, do our uh, summary recap and then... Uh, I like how we've just turned summary recap into its own word. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh. it's one word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, discuss that shit. Woo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you said discuss that shit because it's 69, right? That's Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Now we're a we're not just a regular podcast, we're a cool podcast. <laughs> I love your definition rated, of cool. Rated uh P what, for teen. For explicit for language on the yeah. on the podcast sites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have been since day one, so I don't know. <laughs> yes, just so we can talk about sixty nine like how... is cool, okay? <laughs> <laughs> just so we can talk about how fucked up the children in our various it's series really are. fucked up. <laughs> Chapter 68 opens with a flashback to the Elric household in happier times. You know, before it was on fire. <laughs> <laughs> baby, baby Ed now sleep while Hohenheim sits beside their bed. He stares down at his own hand with a frown. You're allowed to touch them, you know, Trisha says from the doorway. They are your sons, after all. Why do you hold back? Hohenheim stands and scratches the back of his neck awkwardly. I don't want to turn them into monsters like me, he says, and then walks past her down the hallway. Honey, Trish calls after him, then sighs. Sheesh, if that was all it took to infect someone, then I would have been infected a long time ago. Meanwhile, Hohenheim has gone off to have a slightly melodramatic monologue. <laughs> You're full of jokes this this time. I lost it this morning. It's not morning at all. It's like the opposite. <laughs> Trisha, ever since I acquired this body, I've seen so much death. I've seen my closest friends grow old and die in the blink of an eye. Familiar places have been rendered unrecognizable by the passage of time. I've watched in silence as humanity repeats the same mistakes, never learning the lessons of history. I tempered my sorrow by telling myself that it was all part of the greater flow of the universe. There were still many beautiful and mysterious things in the world that I hadn't seen. Each fresh encounter made me glad that I had acquired this body and lived on. That's what I thought, Trisha, until I met you and these children were born. I never get older, yet my sons, who share my blood, continue to age and grow. Suddenly, I'm terrified. I think to myself, yes, I really am a monster. Some days later, Hohenheim is in his study when someone knocks on the door, and Trisha greets them and welcomes them in. She then calls to Hohenheim, asking him to come out into the main room. To his surprise, the visitor is a professional photographer. We've never taken a photo of our family, Trisha says, fixing his tie, and there's no time like the present. Hohenheim is a bit frazzled by the suddenness of this, but Trisha ignores his weak protests to talk to the photographer and arrange things instead. Hohenheim feels a tug on his pant leg and looks down to see that little Ed and Al have wandered over to hang out by their father. Al, who is young enough to still be crawling, pats at his shoe, while toddling Ed hangs onto his pant leg in the way little kids do. (laughs) Hohenheim looks down at them with that same wistful-slash-woeful expression as during his monologue. Trisha then surprises him again by picking up Ed and handing him to him. She picks up Al herself and tells the photographer that they're ready. What should I, uh, 
Hohenheim says awkwardly, holding Ed like a man who has never held a child before. <laughs> <laughs> Just adds to his weird, awkward aesthetic that he's yeah. had all this time. <laughs> But little Ed just grins happily at him, and Hohenheim's eyes widen in surprise. The photographer tells him to face forward and keep still. Trisha takes her place beside Hohenheim. One day, I'll be a wrinkly old lady who looks like a monster herself, she tells him. But, no matter what I look like, I want to always be able to smile and take a photo with all of us. So please, stay a part of this family. Don't isolate yourself and become distant. And please don't hurt yourself with labels like monster. The photographer prepares to take the photo. Honey, Trisha says, smile. The camera bulb flashes, and we see that Hohenheim has begun to cry, so touched by Trisha's words and this family he has. Later still, we see that this moment has made him determined. He sits in his study, furiously researching alchemical texts and running experiments. It was my own foolishness that transformed my body into this, he thinks. That's why I accepted my fate, and fully intended to live on as long as my body lasted. But now, that's all changed. Trisha and the children. I want to grow old with them, and even die. But Hohenheim discovers something else during his research, stumbling across the same nationwide transmutation circle that his sons would uncover in the future. That bastard, he mutters. He slams shut a book of notes and packs up the briefcase he still carries in the present day. I suppose it's the only way. Later, we see Hohenheim sitting in a tree beside the house, tightening new ropes holding up the swing hanging from the branch. He smiles, satisfied with his work, then promptly slips off the branch and falls to the ground. <laughs> oh my, what are you doing? Trisha asks as she walks by. Repairing the swing, he says, rubbing his neck. I've been so devoted to my research that I haven't done anything for the kids lately. It's the least I could do. He pauses then, staring off into the distance for a moment. Trisha, he says, I'm leaving. Will you wait for me? Trisha looks down, looking sad but not surprised. I will, she says. Early the next morning, Hohenheim prepares to leave. He asks Trisha not to tell the kids about his body, and she asks if he wants her to wake them to say goodbye. But Hohenheim says no. If I see their faces, I might cry. She laughs softly. It's okay to cry, silly. Hohenheim doesn't get his wish, though, as little Ed and Al have woken up and wandered out into the hallway. Al had to go potty, so Ed walked him to the bathroom. Trisha keeps up a cheery demeanor and praises Ed for looking after his little brother. But Ed now look up at their father and are surprised at his sudden stern look. Goodbye, he says, and quickly leaves, letting the door slam shut behind him. Back in the present, Hohenheim sits down by his campfire in the mountains, staring down at the family photo in his hands. He looks up to the starry sky. Just a little longer, he says. Meanwhile, in the tunnel under Briggs, members of the second scouting party try to get in contact with the base, but they can't get a signal on their radio equipment. They decide to keep going a little farther, since they have camping gear, and the presence of a mining cart rail indicates that there must be an exit somewhere to remove the rubble. They send one soldier back to report to base, and the rest start to head out, but the horses are suddenly acting skittish. A distant sound rumbles closer from out of the darkness of the far tunnel. The lead soldier draws his gun and orders his men to stand their ground. Something seems to move in the shadows, and then the darkness itself bursts into life, grasping hands reaching out, huge eyes open and glaring, and a vicious grinning mouth. The living shadow becomes solid and sharp, tearing through the men and horses in seconds. The man sent back to base to report tries to escape, but the shadow envelops him too, spraying the tunnel with blood. Back at the tunnel entrance, the soldiers standing guard here approaching foof... foof beats. <laughs> Yes, clops <laughs> is what you meant to say, right? Yes. <laughs> they hear they hear clippity cloppity down the, the tunnel. <laughs> they hear a man uh, slamming coconuts together coming down the <laughs> Back at the tunnel entrance, the soldiers standing guard hear approaching hoofbeats and at first assume that the scouting party has returned. No, one of them says, readying his gun. Something's wrong. The scout's horse arrives, riderless and mad with terror. The men grab its reins and try to settle it down, and when it does, they discover, horrifyingly, that a severed arm still grips the reins. What's going on? One of them asks shakily. Meanwhile, we transition back to Olivier's conversation with Raven. Would you be interested in a completely immortal army? He asks her. And Ed now listening in, note that he took the bait, though everyone thinks he did so surprisingly fast. Is this some kind of ploy? Olivier wonders. Or is he really just stupid? <laughs> <laughs> Is that I what Raven really thought with Mustang? 
What? Uh, is that what Raven thought when Mustang tried the same thing? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say, Kayla? He's stupid? Yes. <laughs> so I think it's the latter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was probably stupid to bring it up to Olivia Armstrong, but he doesn't really know about her. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Obviously not. <laughs> He probably did think that about Roy, though. If Roy said that to me, I would have been like, what a dumbass. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, tell your funny joke again. <laughs> she decides to just play it cool and see how much more he'll let slip. Though that resolve is immediately tested when he dares to stroke her hand as he asks if she's tempted by the idea. <laughs> I want to cut him to shreds, she rages internally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> On the outside, she keeps it together enough to smile and say that his question is so unusual that she doesn't know how to respond. Either you're in or you aren't, Raven says, smiling in a much less friendly way. There are only two choices. He's forcing the issue, Olivier thinks. He's in a rush. Is he running out of time? Out loud, she says that the offer is intriguing, but she needs more details. When the day comes that immortality is no longer a dream, will all the soldiers at Fort Briggs benefit, or just me? When that day comes, yes, Raven answers vaguely. Wonderful, Olivier says, though internally she realizes that he's avoiding making any guarantees beforehand. If I go along with this, they'll force me to aid in their unwholesome schemes here at Briggs, she thinks. And if I don't go along with it, they'll have no more use for me, and I'll most likely be demoted. They must have plenty of other pawns who could take my place. Now what would be the best answer to give him? She's saved from having to decide that just now by an urgent knocking at the door. She stands to answer, and the soldier at the door salutes and apologizes for interrupting, but it's an emergency. It's about the tunnel, he starts, before realizing that the general isn't alone. What about the tunnel? Raven asks swiftly. The soldier hesitates, but Olivier tells him to speak. The scouts we sent to the tunnel. Something's happened to them. Olivier quickly prepares to head down to the tunnel, and also invites Raven to join in on the investigation, successfully ushering him out of the room with the eavesdropping equipment in it. Everyone on the other end of the wire takes that cue to get moving though this unfortunately means that Ed and I'll have to be tied up again, since Raven has been told they're captives. A little later, Buccaneer, Fallman, and the prisoners bump into Miles in the halls, who asks what's going on. Buccaneer explains that he's transferring the Elric brothers from the eastern cells to the western ones, then asks about the man beside Miles. Solf J. Kimbley, General Raven's guest. The Crimson Lotus alchemist, Ed and I'll think with a frown. The Elric brothers, Kimbley says. Then that means you must be the full metal alchemist. I see. You fit your alias perfectly, he says to Al. (laughs) Everyone silently points him to Ed, who grumbles that his gag is getting old. (laughs) Oh, this one. Nice to meet you, Mr. Fomal Alchemist. Hey, Ed says warily. I'm not tired of that joke. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's been, like, just enough time that it's funny again. (laughs) Well, it's also because it's, like, Kimberly. Like, Mm -hmm. him joking about... He's like, oh, perfect. It's so perfect that your name matches your armor. And it's like, oh, no, it's the short one. Like, yeah. <laughs> Back at the tunnel entrance, Olivier and Raven have arrived. The soldier in charge in the general's absence, Henschel, reports the situation to her. Something happened to the scouts we sent to investigate the tunnel. They took a radio, but we haven't received a call. Not long ago, Smith's horse returned. But the only sign of Smith was his arm. He indicates the severed arm, now wrapped in bandages and lying on a stretcher nearby. Just his arm? What about the body? Olivier asks. Unknown, the arm appears to have been cut with some kind of sharp blade. The horse is so spooked it's out of control. What's down there, Henschel? Impossible to say, ma'am. We could put together another squad, but for all we know, we'd be sending them into a death trap. Olivier stands silently at the edge of the tunnel entrance, considering all of this. Raven already has a solution to these problems, though. This won't do, Major General Armstrong. This won't do at all, he says, picking up Smith's severed arm like it's anything other than a severed arm. (laughs) It's a baton. Yes. (laughs) He's just, like, waving it around. I know, I was, like, I'm so disgusted by this when I was, like, (laughs) I was, like, slightly horrified by it just, like, laying on the stretcher, which I, like, guess makes sense. Like, they were probably, like, what do we do with this? And they, like, open it up and stuff, like, you know? Anyway, whatever. Go on. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Hold this dangerous must be closed up. What did you do with the immortal biological weapon that you spoke of? Put it back in the hole and seal off the entrance, Major General. He holds the arm out as he looms over her, grinning threateningly. But we can't just... Henschel starts to protest, but Raven cuts him off. I don't need to explain myself to subordinates. I'm speaking to the Major General. Isn't that the law here? The powerful rule. 
Obey those in power, Major General Armstrong. Olivier glares up at him as the wind howls around her fort. Back in Central, Fuhrer Bradley is home with his happy family, taking a phone call from Kimberly about the situation in Briggs. He tells Kimberly to keep following Raven's orders for now, but promises he'll be granted more power in good time. Kimberly is happy to hear that, and then adds that he recently ran into the Full Metal Alchemist. It appears they're holding him in a cell because he won't reveal any information regarding the mysterious biological weapon. Did Full Metal travel north under your orders? No, I wasn't aware he was in the north, the Fuhrer says, and Kimberly sasses him about not keeping track of his valuable human assets. <laughs> I do know that he's researching the alchemy of Sheen, Bradley says. I see, so he's in Briggs of all places. He hangs up the phone, looking annoyed. Well then, I have one nail in him already, now I'll pound in another one. Then over in Rush Valley, the phone rings in Garfield's shop late at night. Garfield, wearing a truly lovely nightgown, answers, mm -hmm. then calls for Winry, telling her she has a phone call. Is someone from the military? Winry pauses in her work. The military? She asks with a curious frown. That's the end of chapter 68. Not ominous at all. No, there's nothing <laughs> wrong. I also want to say that Garfield is pampering himself with a face mask, which is very mm -hmm. funny. Yeah. <laughs> And a little tiny curl in his curly cue and his hair, uh, like, <laughs> whatever, bangs, mm -hmm. cowlick, the top of his head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chapter 69 opens with everyone at Briggs telling General Raven how totally suspicious Ed and Al are. Definitely spies. <laughs> Take them away and lock them up. <laughs> <laughs> then Raven goes to visit Ed and Al in their cell himself. He introduces himself and says that the Fuhrer told him a lot about them, which immediately gets Ed suspicious, remembering Roy telling him that most of military high command was involved in the conspiracy. Raven then waves away the guards and says, It appears that you haven't divulged anything to these Briggs people that you shouldn't have. I gave the Fuhrer my promise, Ed replies. Raven then notes that Ed seems unhappy, and he's like, Yeah, duh, I'm a prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that very much. It's like, he's like, shouldn't I be in, why wouldn't, why shouldn't I be unhappy? I'm in a prison. Generally. Yeah. And it's like, oh my lad, and like goes on with a bunch of other stuff. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Raven smiles his punchable smile. <laughs> As stated by yes. what I just said. <laughs> You're a child, so I don't expect you to understand, but you must try to see the big picture. What we're trying to do is for the good of this country. No, the entire world. You should be proud of playing a part in this great plan. I know that right now you feel as if you're being treated unfairly, but there will come a time when you'll thank us, as will everyone in this fort, because if they obey us now, a bright future awaits them. And now give him the side eye for a minute. Then I'll politely ask when they'll be allowed out of their cell, since the agreement was that they could continue their journey if they stayed out of the way. Patience, lad. I'll let you out soon enough. Don't worry. What are you going to do about the hole, sir? Ed asks. Isn't that part of your plan, too? If everyone realizes what it... That's not a problem, either, Raven interrupts. Major General Armstrong is going to put the homunculus back in the tunnel and seal it up exactly as before. The Major General has joined our side. The boys look shocked as Raven continues. As we speak, she's overseeing the construction to seal up the hole. Within a week, it will be as if the whole incident never occurred. We then shift over to the construction in question, where Olivier is indeed stoically watching over it all. Henschel approaches and demands to know why she's obeying these orders. The scouting party might still be alive. They might be waiting for our help. But she just tells them to be quiet and follow orders. Up above, Miles and Kimberly also observe the scene. Obey those in power, hmm, Kimberly says with a smirk. It appears that even the immovable northern wall of Briggs bends to those with more power. After all, that is the smart thing to do. Miles says nothing, but glares at him from behind his dark glasses. They're then distracted from their conversation by the rumble of the industrial elevator, which has arrived with the still mostly frozen sloth on board. The Briggs soldiers are on high alert as they drag him out onto the floor. So, there he is, Kimberly remarks. In the warmth of the building, sloth then slowly starts to come back to life. This understandably alarms most everyone, but Raven just calmly walks up and says to let him handle it. Good morning, Sloth. Did you sleep well? Who are you? Sloth says slowly. Still sleepy. Now, now, you have more work to do. Remember what Pride told you? You must finish your work. Huh? Pride? Sloth says. He gets up and starts to lumber off back toward the almost sealed tunnel entrance. Don't want to, but got no choice. Back to work. Sloth jumps back into the hole and resumes digging through the rock. You needn't worry. That's not a spy from Drachma, Raven reassures the Briggs soldiers and workers. It works for Central City's military. 
It's a chimera who is working to make this country even stronger. But all of this is still top secret. He spreads his arms wide as he winds up his speech. Now let's get this hole closed up as quickly as possible. Soldiers of Briggs, I have demonstrated my trust in you by letting you in on this great secret. I consider all of you my comrades. No one seems particularly reassured by this. Nor should they be. <laughs> no. <laughs> Out in the little mountain shack, Marco and May are working to decipher the notes left by Scar's brother, but they've run into a roadblock. Many of the important sections are written in ancient Ishvalan script, which neither of them can read. If Scar was here, he might be able to read it, Marco says. He's a former Ishvalan priest. There's a good chance that he knows the ancient language. May walks over to the window and worriedly looks outside. I wonder if something happened to Mr. Scar. It's been a week and he still hasn't come. Outside, a pair of Briggs patrolmen have finally stumbled across the cabin and the black and white cat they've been searching for. <laughs> it's the most important task of the day, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Before they can get back to report it, however, Scar arrives as if on cue, Yoki in tow, and knocks the soldiers out in a surprisingly non-violent fashion. I did think that he was going to explode them at first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he and Yoki enter the cabin, much to May's relief, and he asks if they managed to find the notes. When May confirms that they did, he says they need to move on. The Briggs troops have caught on to this place. Back at the fort, the tunnel entrance is almost completely sealed over, with workers smoothing out the wet concrete with Raven and Olivier looking on. Good, Raven says. We, the Chosen Ones, will receive godlike bodies and rule over this world. One of your men was Smith, was it? There's nothing we can do about your scouts. They are but a small sacrifice to achieve a larger goal. When this country is raised to even greater heights through our efforts, you'll realize that their lives were not given in vain. Giving nothing away in her expression, Olivier asked, so the common people are to be sacrificed for the benefit of the Chosen Ones. Yes, it's survival of the fittest, he responds. The weak and foolish will become the foundation for a new Amestris, and on their backs the powerful will prosper. And the Ishvalans, they were expendable too? Yes, he says again. That was a part of our plan. Their weak race was destined to perish anyway. He gives a sneering grin. Everything went as we intended, including that so-called civil war. From there we cut to Major Miles, who is standing by while Kimberly takes a phone call. Once he hangs up and starts down the hall, Miles comments on how much he's been using the phone. But Kimberly simply says he's there on business and just checking in. He then starts to ask where Lieutenant General Raven is, but pauses when he realizes Miles isn't keeping pace with him and has stopped a few steps back. You were on death's doorstep, Miles says. Yet you made a full recovery within the day and showed up here with Lieutenant General Raven. What magic did you use? Kimberly scowls at him, then turns away with a smirk. That doesn't concern you. Just take me to Lieutenant General Raven. Wait, I'm not done asking questions. How is it that you were suddenly released, even though you were in prison for killing an officer? Like I already said, it doesn't concern you. The two glare at each other, and we return to Olivier and Raven. When was this plan made? Olivier asks. I've heard that it existed at the time this country was founded. My, my, how grand. Yes, and now it's finally coming to fruition, Raven says. This plan will finally be completed in our lifetime, so we can't let sloth rest. I see now, Olivier realizes. He was acting so desperate because time's running out for him. Raven puts a way too familiar hand on her shoulder and thanks her for her cooperation. Leering down at her as he adds, I'll speak with my superiors about giving you a seat in the high command. Olivier smirks. There's no need for you to give me a chair. What? Raven asks. He gets his answer in the form of a sword stabbed suddenly through his arm. Was it Smith's left arm, sir, or was it his right? Olivier asks, while Raven gapes at her in shock and pain. Growing old is truly a terrible thing, isn't it, Lieutenant General Raven? Long ago in your youth, perhaps you too were an honorable soldier who truly cared about this country. What are you doing, Armstrong? Why? Raven stutters. I'll give you a chair in the high command. You could be one of the chosen ones. I told you, I don't want your chair. Any chair that would seat your rotten ass isn't fit for me to crap on, you wrinkled bastard. Olivia yanks her sword free of Raven's arm, then swiftly slices it across his chest before he can manage to draw his gun. Henschel and the other Briggs soldiers and workers look pleased as Raven falls backward, crying out that Olivia is giving up immortality. Immortality. Is it worth betraying your comrades and fellow countrymen for? Henschel asks. You spoke of foundations, Olivier says, as Raven hits the wet concrete. Well, you're about to become a part of Briggs Foundation, General Raven. Literally. It's a hell of a line. No. <laughs> I was like, oh shit. I know, yeah. <laughs> 
Moving quickly, Olivier then wipes the blood from her sword, strips off her stained gloves, and tosses them into the concrete as well. Buccaneer, call Miles, she says. The rest of you, continue your work. Buccaneer hands her a clean pair of gloves, and she pulls them on. Fix the concrete. Make sure it's nice and smooth. Yes, ma'am, they say, saluting as she leaves the area. Henschel hurries after her, though. Wait a second, Major General. If we seal up the hole completely, we won't be able to climb down. We can't send a search party for Smith and the others. Please, Major General, cancel your orders to seal up that hole. Henschel, she cuts in, beckoning him over to a maintenance hallway nearby. She and Buccaneer lead him down the hall to reveal a metal trap door leading into the tunnel. Thankful metal. He made this door for us in case of just such an eventuality. Meanwhile in Central, Roy meets with a woman in his car who gives him information on Kimberly's arrival and unnaturally fast healing at Briggs, along with Raven's involvement. That's all the info I have for you this week, she says. Roy thanks her and pays her for the information, then offers her a ride home, which he declines. He gets out of the car to see her off, and when she leaves, the voice says, Did you get shot down, young man? He turns to see an older woman pushing a cart of flowers. The best way to woo women like that is with a big bunch of flowers. How about a lovely bouquet? Roy makes a show of sighing as he refuses. Do you really expect a guy who just got dumped to walk home alone carrying a bouquet of flowers? No thanks. The flower seller tuts at him. There are other fish in the sea, she says as she pushes her cart closer. And then, I have a message from Olivier Mira Armstrong, the northern wall of Briggs, Roy Mustang. Roy raises his eyebrows in surprise, then smiles. Interesting. Sell me all the flowers in your cart. Back at Briggs, Miles is still suffering Kimberly's company. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to describe it, yes. <laughs> yeah. You seem awfully hostile towards me, Kimberly says. Is it because you're Ishvalan and I'm a state alchemist who slaughtered your people in the war? What do you want from me? An apology? A bribe? No, a grievance like yours wouldn't be settled by something so trivial. Perhaps you want to know how your kinsman died. Be quiet, Kimberly. Miles grits out. Because if that's the case, then I can tell you every last detail. I said shut up! Kimberly shrugs, and before either can say anything more, a soldier steps into the hall and asks to speak to Miles. Miles follows him out the door, and the soldier tells him he has a message from Major General Armstrong. Mission complete. You can stop buying us time. Understood, Miles says. He glares over his shoulder toward where Kimberly is waiting in the hallway. Good. Now I can stop entertaining our guest. I was growing tired of his conversation. Miles goes back out into the hallway. Kimberly, Lieutenant General Raven is nowhere to be found. Do you have any idea where he might have gone? Kimberly looks surprised. He's missing. This is bad, Miles says. The fortress is no place for an outsider to get lost. If something happens to the Lieutenant General. But Kimberly just smirks and says that would actually be convenient for him. If something happens to Raven, I'm free to act at my own discretion, by order of the Fuhrer. He starts to stride down the hall, looking very pleased with himself. Well then, could you please have a car drive me down to the base of the mountain? I have some business there. He looks back over his shoulder at Miles and the other soldier. Do you understand? As of now, my actions represent the will of the Fuhrer. Back at the holding cells, Ed is getting a little impatient about this whole fake prisoner thing. He asks the mechanic when they're going to be released, the answer being just a little longer, and then how the search for the black and white cat is going. He tells them they're still looking and not to worry. I feel your pain, he says, offering Ed a cup of coffee, but you have to rest up so you'll be ready to move out when the time comes. Ed frowns as he sips the coffee. With so much going on out there and time just wasting away here, I can hardly sit still. He then stops and looks down at the coffee with suspicion. Hey, is this going to cost me 100 cents? Nope, mine costs 200 cents. Ed spits the coffee back into the cup and says he wants a refund. <laughs> Kimberly then enters the room and says he wants an audience with the full metal alchemist though he seems a little surprised at the suspicious looks he gets from Ed now. <laughs> if I didn't know any better, I'd say you don't like me. But he smiles an unnervingly friendly smile and says he has a visitor for the two of them. Please, this way, he says. And to the boy's horror, Winry, with an adorable winter coat on, <laughs> enters the room. <laughs> and a den keychain on her back. <laughs> <laughs> and now immediately start panic yelling at her, and she's like, WTF is your problem. <laughs> <laughs> They ask why she came here, and she says she got a call from military command saying that Ed needed her to come out and fit him with cold-weather automail. She then asks them what they did to get thrown in a jail cell, and they dodge the question by asking her if she ditched her customers in Rush Valley. How rude. I finished all my work before I left. She shoves the can in Al's hands. Here's a gift for you, Al. Polishing oil. Cool, thanks. Wait, no! <laughs> <laughs> 
Kimberly then steps in, telling the children to all settle down. I'd heard that you still hadn't exchanged your automail for a specialized northern region model. When I spoke to the Fuhrer about it, he was deeply concerned. That's why he arranged for Miss Rockbell to come. He puts his hands on Winry's shoulders, looming over her and giving Ednow a threatening look. The Fuhrer has been very worried about the two of you. And that's where we end chapter 69. Also not ominous. Nice! (laughs) No. When Winry showed up, I was like, no! And then I was like, Mm -hmm. yay, but no! (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I did that when I first read the chapters when they were coming out. I was like, yay, Winry! Winry. Wait, no, 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 Winry! (laughs) (laughs) Lured by the Fuhrer or whatever. (laughs) Mm-hmm. His con- quote unquote concern. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the panel of Edna like screaming at her though. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing here? And she's like, What did you do to get in jail? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of stuff. Yeah, lots of cool stuff. Lots of fun mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, I liked the part where they killed General Raven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I like how they're all high fiving the background, like, Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody was happy about that guy. Mm-hmm. So I read I read these through like multiple times. I usually just like read it once, like just like as one would normally consume something for fun. And then I go back and like make notes after. And the first time that I read this, I didn't realize like how handsy General Raven was being mm-hmm. with Olivier Armstrong in the the part where they're like having their their tea time discussion. I was like, oh shit, what is he doing? Oh, he's like touching her hands <laughs> and stuff. Oh no, you know. But she was having none of it. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> I like how, like, even, like, after she has her, like, internal, like, I want to kill him. <laughs> even as she, like, keeps her cool, she, like, qu- calmly, like, removes his hand from her. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also, I didn't put it in the summary, but the girl yes. that uh, Roy met with for information talked about how Raven came to their club and was creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it wasn't his first time being creepy. He yeah. also commented last time, like, oh, I bet, like, men are always, like, vi- like vying for your affections mm-hmm. or whatever. So mm-hmm. it was, like, also casually set up last time, too. Yeah. Which was, yeah. seemed like it was part of the conversation, but specifically he said that, too, which I noticed. Yeah. Oh, well, he's dead now. I mean. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> he deserved it. <laughs> for a lot of things, but also that. But also that. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like. They're like, yeah, we got rid of Raven. And Kimberly was like, cool, now I can do whatever I want. And it's like, I don't know if that's good either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, it was probably for the best, but mm-hmm. now Kimberly can do whatever he wants. So I don't know. <laughs> Although I don't think Raven had any control over Kimberly anyway, so it didn't really matter. But whatever. Yeah, I think Kimberly was going to do what he wanted either way. <laughs> <laughs> he was just yeah. like, oh, great. Now I don't have to like play it doing what I want or whatever, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess it worked out for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, killing Raven and burying him in the uh, concrete is definitely a uh, top Olivier moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was pretty badass. Yeah. Uh, he's like, but I can give you, how about I talk about giving you a seat in the thing? While like, yeah, overly friendly grabbing her shoulder. Mm-hmm. And she's like, how about you take my sword in your arm? How about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is my response. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, did she throw her gloves in the concrete? She <laughs> threw them in the concrete to get rid of them. I understand. <laughs> Yeah. I like how Buccaneer is like, like, yeah, gloves. Buccaneer just carries an extra pair <laughs> yeah, yeah. of gloves for her, apparently. <laughs> I bet Miles does, too. <laughs> <laughs> just in case she has to bloody them up somehow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you gotta always be looking out for number one. And mm-hmm. number one here is Olivier Armstrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> I do like how much the soldiers were just like, they they protested all of the the wrong doings, you know. Like, we shouldn't mm-hmm. shouldn't cover the hole. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the end, when Olivia Armstrong got rid of Raven, they're all like, "Yes!" Like they all like trusted mm-hmm. her in the end. So mm-hmm. or like you yeah. know through the orders and whatnot. So yeah, you can tell she has a good yeah, rapport how, with like, all of them. Yeah, yeah, and how smoothly they like just picked up the like the other end of that plan. They're like, "Yep, we will seal up this concrete." Mm-hmm. They're, like, sealing it up and just, like, eye, eyes over their shoulders at her the whole time. Like, when are you going to give us the cue mm-hmm. to, like, not do this? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I also was like, I wonder why Miles is walking Kimberly around. But, yeah, it turns out that he was just uh, delaying him so that they could kill General Raven. Mm-hmm. So that worked out, yeah. too. Yeah. He was like, thank God, now I don't have to entertain, talk, fucking talk to Kimberly anymore. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's like her top, uh, her top two people were, like, in on it. Yeah, of course. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I think she trusts them a lot, and I think mm-hmm. she trusts Edna. Yeah, but not as much as Miles and Buccaneer. But she 
seems to trust Falconer and Miles a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think most of the top people were in on the plan, but mm-hmm. de- definitely those two. So, uh, Raven, when he's talking about like Briggs and how things work there, is he Cause, like? Because I know that their motto is survival of the fittest. Do they say like, uh, what is it, the strong rule? And they give the orders, something like that. Is that a thing? No, I think that, that was his uh, interpretation okay. of survival yeah. of the fittest. Yeah, because I, I wanted to make sure before I went on and started talking about something <laughs> that. Yeah. Well, no, it, it just seemed very fitting because he really just doesn't understand Briggs. Yeah. And like, you know, he he thinks he understands it, and that fits well with you know Olivier the personification of the wall of Briggs, you know? Mm-hmm. He just completely misjudged her and thought he understood her, but doesn't... I don't know. It's fitting. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I... I, it, I think it's interesting yeah. how, like, he thought that he mm-hmm. understood, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, his, like, misinterpretation of, like, what they mean by their, like, motto up there. It's like... Because yeah. I think you could, you could hear someone talking about survival of the fittest and think that like come to the conclusion that Raven did of like mm-hmm. that's what they mean, but yeah, like we've already seen that that's not what they mean up here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, obviously his interpretation of fittest is like those who are in power. So yeah, as opposed yeah. to people who are have individual <laughs> strengths. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like Olivier asking him like, "Will all of the soldiers benefit or just me?" And he's like, "Hmm, yeah." <laughs> it's like yeah. That's not... <laughs> Very non-committal. Mm-hmm. I don't. I wonder if he knew everything about the plan. Like, I find that always kind of, or like, I found that interesting so far in the story, where it's like, so yeah, all the leadership, all the military leadership is like, quote unquote, in on the plan. But do they really know mm-hmm. what's going to happen? Like, yeah, I feel like they're in on the version of the plan that they were allowed to know. Yeah, whatever because... version of the plan they were told to convince them that it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even he yeah. is like, they're all talking about like making the country greater and granting yeah. immortality to the leadership. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't think that's what the homunculi have in mind. No, I seriously doubt yeah. that. But yeah, it's <laughs> definitely like the version he seems pretty convinced about this, like the bright future that's awaiting everyone or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, just like put him back in the hole and put Sloth back in the hole, and it works for Central. Don't ask questions. <laughs> if you just go yeah. along with this, you'll be all be rewarded in the end. You know. Yep, yep. or whatever and his like all his sassing to ed where he's like mm-hmm. oh you're grumpy now but you'll be proud of having helped us in this plan and all sort of stuff so yeah he's he seems convinced that something good is gonna happen but mm-hmm. to him at least but yeah and to like the elites of the military but i i don't know i'm not convinced <laughs> yeah as a side note i love how our lead characters spend like most of these two chapters just in a prison cell yes <laughs> Well, Olivier's our new lead character now. Who needs Ed now? Yes. I mean, <laughs> where's the Olivier Armstrong spinoff? I want that. Yeah. It's, it's like the series is now Full Metal Olivier. <laughs> <laughs> she did do something court martialable, so yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess she did live up to what she said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's okay. I'm her fan. Mm-hmm. And I guess they will be going down to the scary tunnel eventually because they still have a gateway to it. So, uh, yep. mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. the tunnel was horrifying. The tunnel part is horrifying. Yeah. yeah. I was like, oh my God, what's happening when the like shadow starts coming. And mm-hmm. it reminded me of like, not the truth, but like, you know, like the door, like the portal it reminds me of the portal yeah. mm-hmm. with the eyes mm-hmm. and the creepy the mouth and, and the little hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the little yeah. hands became like blades and like sliced everybody up. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love how it, sh- how it like leads up to it though. Like you have the. The horse is starting to freak out. Yeah, of course. And like sounds, and then you see the sh- some like movement in the shadow, and then all of a sudden it just like bursts into life. Like what's mm-hmm. horrifying? <laughs> Nobody was safe. Yeah, that one horse was safe. <laughs> that horse got although lucky. I think it's yeah. Although it seems to have had its mind broken as far as you can break a horse's <laughs> <Yeah>. mind. <laughs> Horses are already pretty easily traumatized, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think it took much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, and then the part where they, they catch the horse and then the next frame is like with the arm just dangling there. I was like, oh! Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so creepy and gross. <laughs> but yeah, they seem to have all gotten like chopped up by the shadow, which is horrifying. Yeah. Yep. Or swallowed. I don't know. It's not clear. Only the one horse with the one ar- <laughs> arm attached <laughs> came back. So who knows? Because <laughs> if it was like a portal, maybe it picked them up and 
took them away or something. I don't There's know. definitely some slicing and dicing going on. Yeah, something bad is happening. The tunnel is all covered in blood and stuff after. So yeah. It's definitely sketchy. Yeah. It's been a while since we've had a good dismemberment. It's not a child <laughs> dismemberment. Oh, yeah. It's but... been like, you know, whatever. <laughs> Probably like 30 days since our last dismemberment. Mm -hmm. yeah. who, who do you think was the last dismemberment? Lanthan? Unless we've had any like random mooks get dismembered. Yeah. <laughs> there hasn't been a lot of fights. Mm hmm. Since then, because they're all been doing their own thing. Well, since then, Al lost his hand. Oh, he lost his hair. <laughs> yeah, well, they yeah, fixed his hand. His... He lost his hair, which is a yeah, but, minus but I mean, he, he had lost his hand. <laughs> yeah, but father. Uh, and that was after Long Fawn. Okay, yeah, yeah that's but true. that was after Long Fawn. Yeah, that's true. Um, Greed lost himself. I mean, Ling. <laughs> no, Ling is still there. Did he lose himself, is, or but... did he gain a friend? <laughs> <laughs> he gained an alternate personality. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. He didn't lose any. <laughs> body parts you got a sweet tattoo <laughs> and a badass attitude <laughs> yeah i don't think so nobody nobody else has been dismembered since then there's a lot of other like bickering arguments and stuff but i don't think anybody fought so yeah well wow yeah it's like great the last poor smith <laughs> <laughs> we hardly knew him literally <laughs> can we take a, a break to talk about hohenheim a break from all the military stuff. Yeah. Because I kind of like, every time we read this, it's like we read two chapters and it's like something completely different is happening at the end mm -hmm. than whatever happened at the very beginning of the first one. Yeah. So there's like yeah. that kind of interlude about the photo. I never realized that mm -hmm. he was crying in the photo until now. Yeah, it's always yeah, been, um, it's always it been blocked off. His head oh, has okay. been cut, his head's had been like cut uh, off in the frame. Yeah. His head is cut and off. I love it. <laughs> yes. Um, I love this reveal because it's like, at first you think it's to obscure the fact that he looks like father mm, yeah. yeah but it's actually because he was crying he was mm -hmm. he was touched mm -hmm. yeah. i found this very sweet this mm -hmm. i mean it's still weird like he's still weird but yeah the interlude mm -hmm. is very sweet definitely very moving it's like and then he's crying in the photo because he loves his family and shit and ed hates mm -hmm. him <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't when he was little. no when he was a tiny baby he was just like hey <laughs> making tiny baby noises mm-hmm mm -hmm. <laughs> and like yeah, I just love how it like recontextualizes a lot of the stuff. Like yeah, like this like the memory of that the mem the, 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 the memory Ed's of memories of like watching him like in the study like, mm -hmm. to himself and then like leaving, looking all like angry and stern. And it's like mm -hmm. it's because he was trying not to cry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Trisha definitely knew, although he didn't say mm -hmm. in this why he was leaving. But I feel like there's con the context to me seems like that she did know why he was leaving. Mm -hmm. I don't think yeah. it's clear, but she didn't seem surprised, as you said. Yeah, because she was just like, okay, I'll wait. Like, Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling they talked about something, something. about it before that yeah. moment. And she knew that his body was, he didn't die or whatever, so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she was in. It's not like it was a secret with her. Mm -hmm. And now yeah. don't know, because she, he he asked her to not tell them, but she knew. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and she probably didn't tell anybody else, because Pinako didn't seem to know. Well, I don't know. Yeah. He was just like, you've never questioned me after all these years or whatever, but... Yeah. Mm -hmm. That doesn't... I don't think that confirms or denies that she knows. So maybe she does, but... Mm -hmm. Maybe she doesn't know why I think she like that or probably, whatever. like, knew something was up because I mean, <laughs> didn't seem to age, but <laughs> yeah. I think she probably yeah. knew the details like Trisha seems to. I think anyone mm -hmm. who knew him for more than a few years would notice that he never ages. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm sure she knows that something is up, but I don't know. But Trisha she seems to have more information, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. I feel like this, like, the idea of, like, being able to smile with the people that you love is, like, almost a theme now. Because mm -hmm. she was like, I just, I know, like, you know, someday I'll be old, but I want to be able to smile and take a photo with the family or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I found her her words to Hohenheim very touching, where she's like, stay a part of this family, don't isolate yourself, and, like, don't hurt yourself by calling yourself a monster. Very mm -hmm. nice. Yeah. And she's like, it's okay to cry. She seems like a nice person. We haven't really seen yeah. a lot of Trisha, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. She seems very... Yeah. Uh, Emotionally intelligent. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, they seem to have been a happy family for yeah a little while. <laughs> they seem fine. Yeah, <laughs> seems fine. They seem like they had a good relationship. They had some. They. It's not like he was keeping secrets from her, so mm -hmm. or anything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just Ed's opinion about him. I also find that like an interesting idea that's being explored in the text. Like Ed thinks of him as a bad guy, but that doesn't really make him bad or whatever you know i don't know it's very yeah. interesting mm -hmm. and it's like and it has every reason to think of him as a bad guy for sure yeah yeah 
it's understandable. It's just interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah, Not yeah. everything is black and white, right? And then, of course, the most interesting thing probably that happened, other than him leaving and whatever and calling his familiars like we saw last time, but mm -hmm. <laughs> um, he found he understands the plan. He knows about the plan. Like, he mapped mm -hmm. out everything already. And he was also like, wasn't he like, oh, that bastard or something? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, like, we know the father knows him. It's like they know each other personally. <laughs> so he's, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, it was intriguing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like that he discovered the same thing that like Ed now discovered just later on down the line. <laughs> and Hughes. <laughs> but <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> it's more profound that his sons also discovered the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's probably I wonder if there's other people that know. But anyway, so that's interesting. So he knows about the plan. Just say, yeah, I've always really liked that flashback with all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's good. I enjoyed it very much. And he was doing nice things for the kids, even though he was scared to touch them or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I liked um I forgot. How, like we have that scene of him like being afraid to touch them as babies and it's like he kind of did the same thing um yeah when he and ed were both oh, at uh, yeah. the rock bells where he like walked in like he was gonna like pat him on the pat head. Ed on the head and then... i think it's kind of interesting like so he he uses the phrase when he's talking about himself ever since i acquired this body and he says to he says to trisha i don't want to turn them into monsters like me and and trisha's like well i've never been infected or whatever so I don't mm -hmm. know what that implies. Like, I don't know what he told her or, like, what he did, but I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. I guess we'll see, but mm -hmm. it, it's kind of weird. It's still weird. It's not clear. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like he's more of a, like, like, I don't deserve this kind of thing. With yeah, the, definitely. afraid to touch them rather than, like, actually thinking he's going to do anything to them. Yeah. I think so. I think it's more like he, the way he describes himself, like, he sees himself as a monster, somebody who shouldn't. Mm -hmm you know, like, have this family and have these kids and have nice things or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so um, his monologue, it made me th think back to Master Hawkeye. You know, how he was saying that, like, when an alchemist stops searching for the truth or something like that, that's when they truly die. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but in his monologue, he's talking about how, like, uh, he walks silently as humanity repeats the same mistakes mm -hmm. and, um, it was all part of the greater flow of the universe. There were so many things that I hadn't seen, and every encounter made me glad that I had this body. And so that, to me, I, I see that as him sort of like learning more truths and constantly growing as a, an alchemist. And him just having a change of heart when he met, meets Trisha and has a family, and like that's when he starts living, mm -hmm. right? Um, something along those lines. Um, I think it's just interesting that, that, um, I think as Kill has mentioned, uh, Arakawa throws out themes, not necessarily saying which one is right or anything, but like explores just the different sides of it. And I think this is another mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. example of that. Yeah, I think that immortality is explored in multiple ways in these two chapters. I mean, it is over and over again in the series, but we get a good like mm -hmm. kind of compare and contrast in these two chapters. So, like Hohenheim being mm -hmm. like, I traded, like I saw people die, and I saw. All these horrible things happen over and repeat themselves. Sorry, repeat themselves over and over again. Mm -hmm. But I told myself that all these new experiences were worth it. Um, but now, like now that he has like people he wants to kind of like live and grow old with and kind of be in that like natural cycle again, he doesn't want any mm -hmm. mortality anymore. And then I think you have the kind of like opposite opposite perspective from the Raven and Olivier Armstrong story, where um, what's the other soldier's name? Henschel is like you mm -hmm. would give up your comrades and your fellow soldiers and your countrymen for immortality. So, like, you would give up, you would, like, Hohenheim is, like, I used, I used to, like, I was fine with people, losing people, basically, I guess, um, and seeing bad things happen over and over again and just, like, observing mm -hmm. and saying that those new, and seeing other, that new experiences that I had were, like, worth it. Um, and the same with, I guess, like, Henschel's kind of saying the same thing, right? It's, like, is it worth losing all of these, all of the people that you care about? Mm -hmm. Or that you mm -hmm. you know you could you should care about like your your fellow soldiers and people yeah. that you know general people in general for immortality. So I don't know. I, it's kind of interesting that you have both of we talk about both of them at the same time at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, another another look at what what's the another take at least on immortality from a different character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Like, yeah. what are you giving up if you have eternal life or whatever? I, I think that's one of my greatest, my favorite, like, themes about this whole series is just the different perspectives of everyone who attains or seeks immortality and just all the different perspectives and, and versions of immortality that you see and all of that. And it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a trade-off for all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think I'd ever realize, like, how much of a theme it was in the series. Like, obviously it comes up a lot, but I like, never really sat and thought of it. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of, like, you know, like, deep contemplations on <laughs> what it means from different perspectives. Yeah. Yeah, what is it also, like, what does it mean to live? Like, what is, like, a natural... <laughs> What's the value of a natural life versus like an immortal life? Like it's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Like Hohenheim being like, I want to stop this from happening, because I want to grow old with my children, and not mm -hmm. just like wa observe them like I've observed so many others. I think we made a joke a long yeah. time ago about him being like a vampire, where you know like they don't, they don't like, age because they because they take so long to like age or whatever they're almost like removed from society i feel like he's kind mm -hmm. of like that he has that like aloof attitude and stuff like he's he's like seen it all right like that's kind of what's implied yeah. but he yeah. wants to just like have this limited experience instead mm -hmm. of just and be i guess like be involved instead of observing things happening mm -hmm. so and i think this has been the most like present that he's ever we've ever really seen him right mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, I think, cause like even afterwards he's back to his, his well, we don't see him before this, but you know, um, well, he was just a big party animal, like, uh, the Panthers of yeah. Reservoir. <laughs> <laughs> he does seem very engaged with Ed and Al and Trisha as mm -hmm. opposed to in the other times that we've seen him, he doesn't seem very engaged with other people. Yeah. Like, he seemed kind of, like, aloof on the train, I guess. Or not the train, the in the carriage or whatever, yeah. right? So, I don't know. He's kind of an interesting character. It's hard to really pin him down right now still, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he's yeah, still it, out they... in the woods. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this has made him um, less sketchy, but no less weird. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like he has a personal connection. Well, we know that Father knows him. I feel like he has a personal connection to Father. So, like, mm -hmm. that's also interesting yeah. in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And sort of, like, could go either way on the sketchiness, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the fact that he really goes like that bastard when he like, realizes what the yeah. plan is. Yeah. It's like, that's a familiar way of reacting to someone doing something horrible. Like, yeah, he wasn't yeah. just like, who did this? Who made this yeah. crazy plan? He's just like, I know who made this He's plan. He's like, I know exactly what asshole made this crazy Yeah, exactly. Plan. <laughs> yeah. But I don't yeah, know. Actually, the, hmm? uh, later when they do sort of explore the relationship, it's, it's one of my favorite segments, sections. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited um, for that one. I can't even remember where it is. Mutton story, Shop but... v. Mutton yeah, I don't, Shop. I don't either, but oh my mm -hmm. goodness, I just want it so bad. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by mm -hmm. the relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm intrigued that Hohenheim is like, you dick, for like, <laughs> yeah. this huge plan. And he did warn, he knew about it, and he warned, um, he warned Pinaco at that one time recently. Mm -hmm. At least in the present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. He's like, shit's gonna go down in this country. <laughs> soon and she's like whatever and he's yeah. like well i i tried to warn you once bye <laughs> yeah she's like shit has been going down in this country for years yeah <laughs> i mean and it's all related to this plan i think yeah <laughs> so mm -hmm. <laughs> can we talk about marco and may i have a small section of notes yeah. about him mm -hmm. about them rather so they they found scar's notes and scar finally met them again so that's good but there was a yeah. section of the notes that they can't read because it's an ancient Ishvalan. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. And I just like the little interesting call out that Scar was a priest. So we talked a long time ago also about who why, who was his master? What was he like a master mm -hmm. of? Is it just like mm -hmm. martial arts? Is it something else? Why does he like talk the way he talks? Because we talked about that before too. So. Mm -hmm. so maybe that's all related to him being a priest, which I think is interesting. And also kind of mm -hmm. like he's very convicted too the Ishvalan religion so that also makes sense mm -hmm. too as opposed to his brother mm -hmm. like he told his brother that alchemy was blasphemous and whatever so yeah, yeah. he was kind of a stickler about it I guess um mm -hmm. but so yeah it's kind of interesting so that was revealed um mm -hmm. yeah. and the 
The Scar Gang is back together. Yeah, Yoki yeah. got to go on tour. <laughs> They're like, we gotta get out of here, and he like went yeah. like and knocked out those two soldiers <laughs> in the snow. I did expect him to explode them. I was like, oh no, they're done for. Yeah. And then they saw them. The, the panel shows them outside, just like knocked out. And I was like, Phew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's growing and learning. Although they're not state yeah, alchemists, like a... so I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just they're just pawns. Yeah, he's been pretty. He'd been pretty free about just killing anyone. Yeah, he would kill anybody. Though. I think he's yeah. a, he's a little less hype about the random murder thing now. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he's like my vengeance. And now he's like, yeah. uh, I guess they're fine. As long as they don't see where we go, who cares? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was something I noticed. I think it was in one of those panels. It's just a side view of Scar, and I feel like it's the most, it's like softest we've seen his depiction so far. Uh, I'm trying to find it. Oh, here they are. Uh, yeah, it's just like when he's talking to, to May and and Marco, and he's saying that they have to move. I don't know. It just seems like a very friendly soft much more less villainous of a of a depiction of him i think yeah he's not all angry eyebrows all the time now <laughs> yeah <laughs> angry eyebrows is his default expression but mm-hmm. well, here he is in this now yeah and i feel like with that expression and his well well-built Ishvalan <laughs> physique i could see myself getting along with him yeah <laughs> Why you want to have like attractive friends? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> <I> mean... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also interesting because they have this. There's another shot of him on the other page when he's like knocking the soldier out, soldiers out, where he's his face is still shown in shadow, and you can mm-hmm. see like his scar, and his like angry eyes. So mm-hmm. he's still like spooky. Yeah. He's still a little spooky, but I think he yeah. might be yeah. softening up. And he's like, it's time he, to move. He's like, still he's in, just, um... like, you know. I think he's still on the um, complex villain side <laughs> of the uh, villain to anti-hero slider. So. Yeah. You think he's still a villain? But he's, complex he's villain. Edging, I think he's edging toward anti-hero. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's definitely still people that he would not kill. He would kill without hesitation. Yeah. Like, he probably, mm-hmm. if he ran across a new state alchemist that wasn't like Ed now, he'd probably kill them. But, like, I guess the, the drones, he wasn't, he didn't care about them. Uh- I'm gonna I'm gonna argue with you out there. Oh. Like he didn't kill Marco, although although Marco he was has about information. to. That's true. Well, he very but I wonder if Marco. like yeah. he's definitely in a in a transition state. I wonder if he would like if it's a new state <laughs> alchemist, he might not. But for like someone who was actually in Ishval, oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. like I don't know. He might make the distinction between those two. He may not. I don't know. But um, all the people that he's killed so far were involved in Ishval, though. I thought he was just specifically seeking revenge on them. I guess it's against all state alchemists. No, because he but... tried to kill Ed when he. Oh, that's true. When yeah, they first yeah, yeah. met. That's true. Mm-hmm. Maybe he would. Maybe would have a second thought about another state alchemist that he didn't know personally already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, well, so they're all back together, and they have the mm-hmm. notes, so they're moving on to somewhere else. So. Yeah. They just had a little interlude, but I just thought that was an interesting tidbit about him being a priest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did we know that he was a priest or something like that? Mm, I, so think, we, I, we, yeah, I think it was ever like explicitly confirmed. I think yeah, it was well, through. We, when we were talking about his master before, we talked about how he's like a combat, probably a combat master, but also like a philosophical, philosophical or religious yeah, the, master. Because um, Ishmael mm-hmm. has like the warrior priests, basically. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, we talked about the possibility. I just think it's been confirmed. I think okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's always he has always been philosophical, and he's been like I cast away my name and I, this and like he is very mm-hmm. he's have strong mm-hmm. I think like religious conviction or whatever. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. So it's always mm-hmm. been kind of alluded to. Uh, just we saw Roy again and his uh, oh, yeah. information uh, mm-hmm. system. Yeah, flower yeah, like, again. Explicit confirmation flower, yeah. that the uh, the uh, bar of ill repute is uh, Roy's <laughs> information network. The car bar <laughs> or mm-hmm. whatever. What was what? Was yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, yeah, there's a flower lady, too, who I don't know if she's uh, associated with them or something. Or mm-hmm. um, I don't know if she had, that, she like, had it's, information it's, from Olivier Armstrong. I don't know if she's associated with the bar, the sketchy bar. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't yeah, seem so to that like, might be Olivier's, as... like... No. Mm-hmm. Um, it is interesting that she is communicating with Roy, even though she sort of, like, uh, last episode talked about him as, like, a rival and not actually caring about him and mm-hmm. that sort of thing so but ed told her about yeah, all I... the people other hostages yeah yeah he's in 
yeah, they're all involved in the same like scheme right now. Yeah. And I could see it being like it's like he's a rival because like on some level she respects his like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean they made true. it seem like that like yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but not, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's it's still nice to to see that 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 was more exaggerated than uh she first let off. If yeah, I think to, it speaks uh, I think it speaks to her like practicality as a person. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I was gonna say if they were if it was like fight to the death for the Fuhrer seat, they would definitely both fight to the death. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like yeah, but definitely I think Levi Armstrong will do what makes the most sense and in this case they have a lot of information and she knows that they are in the same situation and he has ties to Central, so like it's probably good to like give him information or share information with him or whatever. So mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, send make him buy a shit ton of flowers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's like, I have a great setup. <laughs> yeah, she's she's like, give him this information, but make sure you get something out of him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he knows through the network about Kimberly and and Raven, and that Raven was there and that Kimberly was sketchily healed. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. I guess that, that Raven's a creep. There. Yeah, Raven's a creep. <laughs> well he knew about that from uh the other, the other woman. <laughs> yeah. I like his, like, night on the town outfit of, like, his, like, jacket and scarf yeah. thing It's like a full, on. like, tuxedo. <laughs> it seems like he just picks the, the woman up and then, like, drives her around and then drops her off. Like, they don't even really yeah. go anywhere or whatever. So, mm-hmm. to have conversations, to have their, share their information. So. Mm, so, Kimberly? Yeah, let's do it. How about Kimberly? And now met him for the first time. What? <laughs> Sociopath. Yeah, he is a sociopath. That's definitely true. <laughs> we knew that from before, though. I mean, he straight up yeah, but it's just his beautiful plan or whatever. So yeah, yeah but <laughs> it's more on display though when he's hanging it out is. in a place where there's a bunch of people being like, "What the hell?" <laughs> like Miles. People. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like Miles being like, "What the fuck?" Like <laughs> yeah. basically mm-hmm. the whole time, every time they talk, which is really funny. Yeah. Kimmy's like, you seem hostile toward me. It's like, I wonder why. Yeah, why could that possibly be? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But I now met him for the first time. Mm-hmm. And they did the joke, which was good. I liked it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love Ed's like very teenage and wary, like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <What's up>? <laughs> but Kimberly brought their weakness to the fort. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's like, yay, but no. <laughs> Always happy to see Winry, but now worried for her safety. I'm very, very concerned. <laughs> Although they'll keep her alive because she's a hostage. So, I mean, they'll like mm-hmm. probably use her as long as possible without something bad happening to her. Yeah. Like, I don't think anything bad would actually happen to her. But yeah, I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, it's just, they just, he just brought her there to, to bother Ed and Al. So, yeah. Throw them off their guard, you know? Mm-hmm. Or throw them off their game, it's I guess. It's a warning. <laughs> it's definitely a warning to be like, Keep your nose out of shit. Mm-hmm. But now Ed can get cold weather auto mail. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> he won't freeze up in the cold or whatever. I like how much they sassed him last time. Like, Didn't yeah. you get fitted for cold weather auto mail? And he's like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like, I didn't tell my engineer. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, whatever. But I think it's funny that he doesn't even know. Like, he's just like, yeah. I'm going to Briggs. And he's like, ow. <laughs> my arm doesn't work suddenly. Shockingly. Yeah. I love the bit where she um, gives Al the polishing oil, and he's like, mm-hmm. oh, cool, thanks. Wait, wait. No, we're still <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's also kind of disgruntled, because she's like, why are you guys freaking out? Here's the oil that I brought you, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, Here, I brought a gift, you jerks. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> At least that's the way I choose to interpret her, the way her dialogue's mm-hmm. written. <laughs> and the way she, like, shoves it into the uh, jail. I like her questioning them about being in jail, too. She's like, what did you do this yeah. time? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, so Winry's there. Maybe Winry and Olivier Armstrong will become friends, like Lisa. <laughs> all the, uh, all the dangerous women of Amestris. Yeah. Yeah. The Pantheresses of Amestris. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Start a girl gang. <laughs> Ride their bikes around. With, with Pinaco as the, like, gang leader, obviously. Yes. Because, yeah. because I think the only person Olivier Armstrong would defer to is uh, Pinaco, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I don't have any other things that I wanted to talk about. Wow, are we done already? Wow, this can't be. <laughs> I, I must have something. 
<laughs> I mean, I guess one other thing that was moderately interesting was that Kimberly has a direct line to the Fuhrer, so he's like just calling him in his house yeah. and stuff. But yeah. he's there on official business. That's obviously <laughs> for the homunculi, so you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. that interesting. But yeah, I like how he's like chilling with his family in the background too, taking yeah. all his calls <laughs> and being like, "Kill them" or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> his wife was like, "What?" And she's like, "Oh, nothing, nothing. <laughs> just, just a work call." <laughs> He's like, I'll drive another nail in him. His wife is like, what? <laughs> yeah, what was the uh, the first nail? Just the threat? I think so. I think okay. so. Just just them mm-hmm. being there. And like Raven, like General Raven sassed him, right? General Raven talked to him. That's true, yeah. I guess. Okay. That... I, don't know. I feel like that's more hitting that, that nail even harder, not putting another one in, you know? <laughs> yeah, but... I don't know, whatever. I don't know about the fears well, uh, I doubt skills that was of the, metaphors. The same... <laughs> Hmm? To say, I doubt it was the same idiom in Japanese. So. Yeah, actually, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> they just picked one that sounded similar. Mm-hmm. Like, again. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. I don't know what that verb is, but yeah. Kugi means nail, and mm-hmm. that was the first thing, so I think it is the same. Yeah. Oh, guys. Yeah. I just Googled. So he says, Kugi o sasute. Kugi o sasu, I guess, is like. It says in Chisho, it's to give a warning. I guess it's a similar expression. So wait, so what are we going to read next time? Oh, yeah, what are we doing? <laughs> We're reading 70 and 71. I would never have guessed. <laughs> also, I'm really excited. I already know what happens. <laughs> I'm excited, too. But one of the big what? what? <laughs> well, get ready to have your minds blown next week, I guess, if you didn't already read it. <laughs> Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> Do you like my equal right. laugh? I mean, it, it was good. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. Bye. 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 talking about my voice no i <laughs> no okay no, thank i goodness. hear a noise that sounds like it's like what's that weird noise it's been going up for hours yeah no <laughs> <laughs> I just can't get out of my head <laughs>